Greetings, citizens, and welcome to episode 53 of I Am The Night. And this week we're looking at episodes 56 and 57. Yes, it's a two-parter, and what a two-parter. Shadow of the Bat, written by Bryn Stevens and directed by Frank Power, and introducing, well, let me... Let my colleague and co-host let you know who we're meeting this week. Adam, welcome. Good to see you. Good to be here and good to be in truly just vintage Batman as we get to see yeah. an important character step out of the shadow of the bouts uh, with the excellent cast of characters and sidekicks and assistants and friends that Batman's made over the years. The one that everyone springs to mind is obviously Robin, but we see many more friends and allies alongside, and one that is sorely needed and also Bat-themed. This is the first appearance and the wonderful first appearance of Batgirl in this series. Oh, well said. I mean, and you took the words right out of my tiny little mind with vintage Batman, because this two-parter, honestly, um, it shows how sporadic showings of this series were back in 92 in the UK that honestly, I don't think I've ever seen this story before. So I watched it wide eyed, like a giant nerdy fanboy. and tell you what, this was great. Vintage Batman is the key phrase for this two parter. Oh, that's why I said it. It's something about the overall tone feels very silver and a scholar age. Um, The ups and downs of a fairly modern themes of a crime drama are definitely there as well. We get the beautiful and very well handled, Origins of a very beloved character, and honestly, I don't think there's anything else you personally love. We've got a classic supervillain making their appearance from out of the shadows, but being the conniving schemer that we know him to be. Honestly, it's just truly wonderful and a great, great episode. Both oh, of them, mate. It was, this is like another one of those which is like a ten out of ten straight out of the bat. Like you said, I mean, from tiny little clues, I mean, we knew it was Two-Face before we even heard Richard Mould's amazing voice because of the building being two, one dilapidated building right next to one not so dilapidated building. And you can see the, almost the scar running down the middle of it. And it's just brilliantly done. But like you said, the way this story is directed, brilliantly by Frank Power, I mean, this two-parter could easily be edited into one long episode. Very easily, yeah perfectly it doesn't even have the standard cliffhanger episode to bring you back it just ends like you want to watch more um the way it's lit the way it's directed very smooth animation i think they've really found their feet finally and settled on the tone haven't they they've been able to come on in leaps and strides as the episodes have gone on but there's something about this and i feel like it worked very well with like the classic batman sort of swashbuckle of a classic vintage comic that we got to see elements of it here and that kind of smoothness and like high motion and high action was especially towards the end of the second part was very well rewarded here. I think it handled very well. Yeah. And obviously we, we do get just characters we've uh, always seen before, apart from the new character, Gil Mason. And as always uh, brought to life by a very well-known character actor, this time Tim Matheson, who fans may recognize as the voice of Johnny Quest. But he also played Ronald Reagan, the president himself in the TV movie Killing Reagan. But old school fans like me will always remember him as Otter from Animal House. One of those faces, one of those voices that's a complete legend. And Batman, the animated series, does it again. But very clever in this episode, 
um, highlighting Two-Face's mania of duality. He consolidates all the other crimes, gets Bruce Thorne arrested, and then puts his own man in the commissioner's chair, ready to take over from Gordon. And again, a brilliant piece of writing in a brand new and original story. It really is, because this way is a way for Two-Face to sort of take almost complete control of Gotham because he has the criminal underside and the squeaky clean justice department all under his control in this way. So it's a very real, like as realistic as you could get in comic books, but a realistic way that he could do it. And he's consolidating it down into two equal parts that hold very similar weights there in Gotham. So yeah, it's a very two-faced thing to do that I'm very surprised I hadn't seen sooner. Do you know what? Absolutely right. I mean, usually it's just this tired old thing, the robbing the 22nd bank on the 22nd of February and all that sort of stuff. But this whole thing of a crime in two parts, rule the crime lords and rule the police, it's something that hasn't been used uh, on TV or in the movies, but comics have adopted it many, many times to have that underworld figure running the the background of everything and pulling the strings as, you know, like legendary stories like The Court of Owls and then City of Bane and Joker War. Um superbly done and who knew that they'd done it originally back in 1992 on the animated series well I think it's also quite prophetic because most of the time uh, people in high positions of power like that are criminals but that's my own personal uh, very liberal opinion wish I could argue but still it's very nice to see that they're giving Two-Face this level of ambition because we haven't seen the character since that great uh, villains in the pub episode I believe Mm -hmm. pretty sure Mm -hmm. so we went from him feeling snubbed and defeated by Batman into him orchestrating a near perfect plan to take control of the entire city. So yeah, it was a pleasant surprise to see him research and research so strongly that we can really see him as like a immense threat to the city. We say a great plan. I mean, this is truly a criminal mastermind level plan, but he didn't count on one little thing, a red headed spanner in the works known as Barbara Gordon, AKA bad girl. Sudden surprise and a very natural sort of way in for this character because we see her, we've seen her sort of like very loosely, sort of like trailing along behind mm-hmm. Gordon. Mm-hmm. So we saw her as this almost mousy sort of figure, but seeing her doing her gymnastics, yeah. And we also know that her investigative mind just to be able to look through that little that big book of mugshot so we know that she definitely has the chops to be able to be the crime fighter but she needed that one spark that one source of inspiration and that was when uh some very intense fake news appeared in the form of uh jim gordon's accusations what a plot point i mean from the very beginning of course you start the whole episode with a bat um, flying through a warehouse and already it sets a, a tone for this episode and two crooks in the middle of a job and their boss disturbs them and scares them and who else is it but Rupert Thorne and Thorne finally gets his comeuppance he gets arrested he gets locked up we get classic moments of humour with Alfred saying you know you should be pleased and um, you could be forced into taking a vacation and Gordon saying oh don't you love it when you get them gift wrapped but what you said we don't just see Barbara Gordon as a smart chick, as as a girl with passion and ambition and drive. She's fearless. She's a hero. She's born to do this. And she proves in this episode she's every bit the detective that Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne are as Batman and Robin. Yep, by chasing down that one guy and recognising his very noticeable rabbit-shaped teeth. <laughs> Uh, you could you couldn't miss that guy anywhere in a lineup, and that's the kind of forward thinking and detective work that would is 
more important, I would say, in this line of work than the being able to match yourself up in a fight and be able to make your way across the rooftops. So, yeah, she has that side of things locked down from the beginning, which is exactly what you want for a new character. Absolutely. And it's it's really clever because it's tiny little touches. And I don't know if this is the writers, the animators, or probably a cappy combination of both, where she initially appears... Um, imitating Batman to get her arrested father some support from the Gotham public. And when she's running to catch the two-faced goons who invade the scene and break out the firearms, someone grabs the back of her hood and obviously that beautiful flame red hair falls out and the iconic classic Batgirl look is born immediately, even before she finalises the costume and makes it her own. And it's little moments like that that just elevate this series. You can clearly see how much every single creative talent behind this program loves the source material, which is what elevates it above any other adaptation to my mind. So definitely a very realistic way for that sort of like long red hair at the back of a mask look would come about. Uh, it's largely down to the fact that she started off as mostly trying to do like Batman cosplay. <laughs> but it worked out for the best and for a good cause. So yeah, just to be able to see that sudden rip into the evolution, the natural sort of progression of how the character would eventually find their look and find their presence in the show is a great thing to see. And it just shows how well they know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. But what I love is how well-rounded and fully formed Barbara and Batgirl, both of them, appear in this episode from little moments like she decides to make an appearance as Batman when he says he can't. She f goes in swinging. She gets knocked on her butt a couple of times, but she gets back up. She was born to do this. And unlike almost every other character in the Batman Mythos and Bat family, she doesn't have the tragic backstory. She's got a perfectly great dad yes he's split up from a mum but she's been well raised well educated smart girl no tragedy no death no horror in her life that sadly is to come later but she's a fully formed hero born and bred through and through thanks to her genes thanks to her mentality thanks to her just being one of the most awesome comic characters i adore barbara gordon so much and to see her treated like this it just makes me happy. Yep, it's showing the character with a lot of respect. I think, fundamentally, this is the other way that a hero can be made. It's not necessarily the tragedy that drove Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson into their costumes and them trying to make the world better just out of their way of dealing with mm, their, mm. their pasts as well as just doing the moral right thing. It's also a case of she has been inspired by those guys yes. and she wants to continue to bring what she could do to that to that level of justice yes. she wants to bring what she's capable of to try and make the world better because she knows she can and that's her responsibility to do she's stepping into that role because it's correct and admirable absolutely and her talent her drive the way she gets shot at and literally just uses that aforementioned acrobatic skill to evade those bullets she gets knocked down, helped by Robin, but rather than, like any normal human being, at that situation, turn and run away, Robin comes, helps her up, and she goes, what are you waiting for? They're getting away, and carries on chasing them. She catches um, Bunny O'Hare, or whatever that is called. Really? And I'm sorry, it's the first thing that popped into my head, I didn't plan it. Um, rips off his mask, and even though he knocks her into garbage... She's seen his face and she uses that to track the guy down, find out his identity and face 
sadly, the other true villain, who she thought was her friend, Gil Mason. Yep. So, yeah, Barbara's just great in this. But what's also brilliant is, I mean, of course, you get that whole shock thing of Gil Mason appearing at the door. And I always get the willies whenever anyone rings the Gordon's doorbell because of the killing joke. Mm. And this was... Almost as horrific because both of us reacted in the same moment when Gil said, Jim, you're under arrest. We thought, nah. Uh, no. Nah. No. And it's brilliant because the reaction is mirrored in Batman's reaction, in Bruce's reaction, and in um, Bullock's reaction. Both of them react like there's not a hesitation. There's, there's no not doubt. any doubt whatsoever. They both know Gordon's innocent and this is a frame up. And that to me speaks volumes. It really just shows clearly the nature of the character, Jim Gordon, that he's put that level of trust in everybody and his reputation as the stern lawman in a lawless city. The, the, even the whisper of something like this is unthinkable and as we hear like a very long list of evidence mm -hmm. from that from that lady lawyer that i think was on i didn't catch the name of we really feel like okay there's enough here that could be real but no this isn't this isn't for real he's fine he's absolutely fine. but that that vision that he's put that kind of immutable uh, friend of the law and he's just that consistently trusted and loved and respected it's a real testament of the character, and it's the, amazing that we got the exact same reaction out of us because well, we he put yeah. that impression on us as well. Totally, completely, and that just goes to amazing again writing, direction, and acting from everybody involved. I mean, we've got to say that even though this is really a Batgirl episode, there are still some classic, iconic Batman moments right from the beginning where you don't really even really see him properly on that rooftop when he takes down Thorn. And another fantastic moment in the evidence room where he's looking for evidence to clear Jim's name. And he hears a guard coming into the evidence room and then you just see a little skylight above the guard and the last wisp of the cloak going out the top. Oh man, this, this double episode just made me happy. It just shows him in those good moments as a figure of the night, a figure of fear, practically invisible when he needs to be. But knows what he needs to do to look into finding the evidence to exonerate his friend. And I do believe, even though he's just very stern and very like cold and distant, he is still a dear friend and he wants to try and make sure that Jim Gordon's okay. Absolutely. So many like archetypal pieces of Batman. I mean, one of the very greatest is right at the end where they're stuck on that train carriage and the water pressure from the busted dam or whatever's underneath the Gotham Reservoir and the train breaks through the wall mm -hmm. and they've got no uh, bat grapple gun because they've given it to Babs. But Batman literally just rips a handle off the train, ties it around a silk cord, you know, standard bat rope that he's got as a spare. And like he's always maintained, one of my favourite Batman lines is, if you haven't got what you need, use whatever's at hand. And again, another vintage, vintage piece of Batman. I think that level of resourcefulness is exactly what you need to be able to make it as a crime fire, especially in a place as turbulent as Gotham. And he, we see it in spades here. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the look and the sound of the episode. We've already said that some of the animation we saw in this was cinematic. It was almost as good as something like Mask of the Phantasm. From Blood Red Moon, shadows, flying bats, the use of the shadows, light... Bats flying through warehouses, a vintage, archetypal, iconic Batman, and of course, the iconic music 
by Shirley Walker. And in this episode, oh, it was so good. Pure jazz score, hearkening back to your old classic gangster movies or your Mickey Spillane, Mike Hammer TV shows. You can almost feel like this is a black and white gangster movie with the guns, the machine guns, the criminals, the fedora hats, the classic cars. You don't know if they're from the 50s or from the 21st century or the 22nd century. Everything about this episode looked and sounded phenomenal. I really am glad that we're taking a long moment to talk about this, even though some of those culture uh, touchstones that you mentioned, I have absolutely no idea about. Uh, some of those names uh, gone wide past me, but I love that. I love that they're able to draw inspiration oh, yeah. from such vintage stuff that is sadly no longer something that's in my time, but they've been able to capture that overall essence of it so well. We've got that like noir gangland crime we've got oh, yeah. those looks of those char characters which we've had consistently throughout the whole show that timelessness is what i think keeps batman the animated series so strong it yeah. just makes it feel so timeless that it could slot anywhere in batman's history mm -hmm. and it'll be mm -hmm. relevant to viewers as long as batman's relevant and i'd say batman will always be relevant as long as there's dc comics oh absolutely i mean just the whole atmosphere and the way not just respectful to Batman. I felt respect to the old pulp comics, the old pulp radio shows, the fact that who are, the guy I've already lovingly named Bunny O'Hare is like something like, like out of a Dick Tracy strip, one of those villains that's like a strange kind of comic grotesque. But honestly, this episode was brand new to me. This story was fresh. I came in in with eyes wide open, not expecting a thing because I didn't know anything. And it's actually gone up into my list of favourite episodes ever of this series. And, well, so far there haven't been many who have said there wouldn't. But as always, on that note, please tell me your main takeaways, what you thought, your main likes, dislikes, things that stuck in your mind about Shadow of the Bat Parts 1 and 2. I think there's wonderful moments where we get to see the actual true cross-section and the, uh, the value of Batman's mm. ability to m manage his team and be able to recognize when something truly serious is happening, when one of his, again, extended members of his team, Jim Gordon, has been taken in for a crime he didn't commit. But I also wanted to touch again about Batman's resourcefulness because I'm reasonably sure this is the first time we actually see Matches Malone. Oh, how could I forget that? I love Matches Malone. Matches Malone, his criminal underbelly alter ego, just yes. the pencil moustache, the matches, the drawl, and we get to see that, and we get to see that beautifully. And one of Batman's mainstays, it was an actual original criminal called Matches Malone who Batman teamed up with in the original continuity to face off against Rush Al Ghul the first time they crossed paths. But then uh, Matches Malone was killed or believed to be killed and Batman took on his identity permanently because he was a known underworld figure, a respected underworld figure, and Batman uses that um, alias to this day to infiltrate crime gangs and things like that. And yeah, I do believe this is the very first time we've seen him outside of comics. And I, I love matches. Um, for a while, there was a brilliant story. I think it was probably Ed Brew Brubaker in the 90s where Batman had a bit of a wobble and he thought he actually was Malone for a while. And that was a, a great run of really odd, really different stories with Batman operating as an actual criminal, but still finding his heart at the end of it. So yeah, Matches Malone, well spotted. How could I have forgotten Matches? And you know what I also love about the appearance of Matches in this story is that we, the viewer, are given zero context about this. Mm. We just see him get into a 
uh, criminal get up in a disguise and having the box matches and the little one in his teeth. So we just, just so to the viewer who may not necessarily know that part of the comics, they'll be like, oh, he's got like a criminal disguise. That's pretty handy. But us who know what we're talking, know what we're talking about, know the context, would be like, oh, he's finally bringing out matches. That's amazing. Yes. Absolutely. So yeah, it's a lovely, wonderful bit of truth to Batman's extended toolbox that we get to see here. Well spotted. I can't believe I forgot poor old Matches Malone, but to me that's also got a couple of other undercurrents because after the Count Vertigo episode, after the fact that we've now seen Talia and her father, the fact that Matches originally appeared in the first Russell Gould story leads me to believe we're getting closer and closer to meeting the demon's head and his daughter properly. And that is something I cannot wait for. So yeah, well done, son. Cool. I deserve a, a, a naughty boy step for that one. But I have to, my standout moment, and I'm so sorry. Um, I have to give kudos to a certain Mr. Jim Gordon, who you quite rightly stated, like me, is a dad and is allowed to say dad jokes because I don't remember seeing this episode before. When <laughs> Batman uses a batarang to dislodge the giant silver penny from off the front of the warehouse called the Silver Dollar Warehouse, and it falls, it crashes on the pier behind Harvey and flips him over. I was literally going to say, oh, Two-Face gets flipped by a coin, but I was beaten to it by Jim Gordon. But hey, if I'm going to be beaten to the punch by any man in the world, Jim Gordon is one I quite happily bow to. It's, <laughs> yeah, and it's also the usual thing whenever you watch something. Whenever you watch, Whenever you watch TV or movie that you either know really well or are just deeply enjoying, you will turn into a six-year-old. Yes. You will throw your hands up in the air, say, yes, <laughs> what, no, ah, amazing, oh, so good. Oh, would you look at that? Just stuff, stuff like that. I think the last great one was the beginning of a Slice of Marvel Media, the great... Uh, opening sequence of uh, Falcon Winter Soldier where we saw them going through and flying and yeah, that great action that sequence. So cool. But then again, this show has brought that oh, consistently God. every single time. So I often say, yeah, it's nice that you're giving this kind of commentary, but they're in the TV, they can't hear you, but it's nice that the TV beat you to the punch for once. Oh, yes, absolutely. I got I got outpunned by a very great man. I mean, you got to just give kudos to everyone behind this series. It is magic. And it does make me stand up and cheer on a regular basis. I mean, like you said, when Jim got arrested, I went, no. <laughs> when Babs got up, I went, yes. But even from the first opening montage, that, you know, they always have the little panel, the like banner of what the episode is going to be about. Yeah. I saw the title Shadow of the Bat and my mind went back to the classic 1990s T, uh, TV comic series The Shadow of the Bat which was created for writer Alan Grant so I thought yeah this is going to be a really in deep look at Batman himself and the title card is clearly a silhouette of Batgirl so yeah. I thought oh not the bad I was expecting and from that moment on yeah. line and sinker because you truly did not remember this episode and it turned into an absolute treasure and an episode that honestly I would put on for anyone to just sum up this show this is that this is that episode Spot on. I would put on these two episodes to sum up the show. If they want to continue on and watch it just for the strength of it, they will be treated. But if they want to just get like a quick injection of what this show is all about, it's these two. Perfect. This is actually, yeah, a perfect intro. Better than the actual first episode of the season. Because this literally gives you Batman, Robin, Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, Two-Face, uh, crime, punishment, music, animation. Wow, yeah. 
So next time anyone asks me what episode would you put on, this could be it, actually. Well said. Really would. I, I would honestly encourage it this, this way. Fantastic. Well, wow, what a show. Um, Love that one. Shadow of the Bat Parts 1 and Parts 2. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's great. But uh, until you do, let's let you have an idea of where else you can catch my cohort, my partner in crime and I across the web, the internet and the airwaves. Adam, let the world and Gotham City know where they can find you. Uh, I can be found doing many writing and video audio editing things across the interwebs. For Batman-flavoured things, go no further than Dark Knight News for multiple reviews. Uh, across the month, I'm covering Suicide Squad and Catwoman. Excellent titles as they are right yes, now. Very good. But for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look to our baby, our first port of creative care, Fantastic Universes. Follow me on Twitter at Is It Tinkerer, where you find me talking further about my love of gaming and complaining when I'm losing badly at <laughs> card games. Uh, for Dungeons and Dragons, my tr- my other great love in the tabletop gaming sphere, you can find me writing on the Apotheosis Studios blog. And to see me in gaming action, go to No Ordinary Heroes to see me game mastering some Dungeons and Dragons, and go to the Hostile Atmosphere to find me playing PC games of all varieties. Wonderful. As for myself, you can catch me on this very show every week with my partner in crime, Mr. Adam Ray, and on the DC Comics News Main News podcast every week with my cohorts and colleagues, Brad, Kendra, Kelly, and Seth. Seth has his own show, show, The Spinner Rack, where he goes through his five favourite DC releases of the week, scoring them, rating them, reviewing them for your listening pleasure, so that you know which ones are worth spending your hard-earned cash on. And all of those shows, and this one can be found across Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. Both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found online and on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr and YouTube as well. On YouTube, you can also catch DC After Dark with my DC Comics News co-host, Kelly Gaines, and her partner in crime, Tony. As for me, talk to me. Please talk to me on Twitter at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And to read my news, reviews, and interviews across both Fantastic Universes and Dark Knight News and DC Comics News, just type Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes into your search engine of choice. But until you do, here's Adam Ray. He's the night. Together we are the night, and this has been another episode of the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, read more comics. And watch more Batman. Batman.